Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. It's a new year on the podcast, and I'd like to introduce you to some changes that we're making to the show. We're excited to introduce our partnership program. This will allow us to showcase more of the leaders, innovators, and organizations who are at the forefront of the economic transformation happening in our city and our province. Take a few minutes and be curious. Visit their websites, check them out on social media, and most importantly, get involved where you can. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Chris Foster. How you doing, Chris? I'm good, Tyler. How you doing? I am great. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Chris, you're the VP of IS and CIO at TC Energy. Such an honor to have you on the show. And just that title alone got me excited. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to have some stories to share. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. Well, um, I appreciate that, Tyler. Yeah, I, uh, I tell my kids my title and I try to tell them I'm kind of a big deal. And then they don't, they just make fun of me for the rest of the evening. So I'm glad you were <laughs> impressed by it. Well, you know, it, it, it starts there and now, now the, the jury's out. So let, let, we can, we can backfill it. I, I appreciate it. telling people a big deal. How does that result? Now, your kids are a really good filter of that. It's the, they are. What's, they, what's the they, old, they ground you quickly, don't they? Yes. What's the old joke? If you have to tell people a leader, if you have to tell people you're the leader, you're probably not. <laughs> Maybe a joke like <laughs> Exactly. That. That's right. Well, Chris, I see you've been at uh, TC Energy for almost, almost five years and we could probably get into a little bit of kind of your role there and kind of day to day, but maybe on a broader sense, like connection to Calgary, obviously the accent shows up right away. So maybe not, <laughs> maybe not born here, which many of us, many of us are not, but maybe just give us a little bit of background and some context. Yeah, f- for sure. Thanks, Tyler. So uh, the accent's actually uh, from the UK, not Australia, as people probably might guess. You guys have have messed it up for me in about 22 years uh, of being here. But um, I actually <laughs> first came to Calgary. I left high school when I was 17 in the UK. I was just one of those people that was started a year earlier. And um, anyway, I had a friend that had come to Calgary. I wasn't going to go to university before it was legal for me to drink. That didn't seem to make any sense. So um, I had a friend who'd come back from Calgary who who bragged about Canadian women love women loving uh, British accents, which actually never, ever worked out for me, by the way, spoiler alert. But um, but it was enough to convince me to come spend some time in Calgary. There was a, a student exchange program at the time where I could get a work visa pretty easily and Canadian students could get work visas for the UK. So I came over and I washed dishes on 17th Avenue and restaurants that are no longer there. Um, and I fell in love with the place. I mean, the mountains, the blue skies, the people, you know, the, the friendliness of the place just resonated with me right away. And, and so I went back home to the UK, went to, went to law school for four years and then, uh, found my way back and found a way to be here permanently in, in about 1998. So I've been here, you know, lived here and raised my kids here now for about 22 years. Oh, you and I are too far off. I moved here from Montreal back, back in 2000. It was a very, very different, uh-huh. very, very different city back then. But I quickly, I quickly fell in love, moved here for one reason and ended up doing something else. And and then made, made, made my life here. And I am, I'm, I'm bought in. Let's put it that way. As it sounds yeah. like you are, you are as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's hard when I, when I don't know whether I'm, when I say I'm going home, I don't know if I mean the UK or Calgary now. So I, it's funny. I was in Montreal a few, um, this is probably eight or nine years ago and I'm walking downtown and all of a sudden I'm like, I think I'm a tourist. I think I'm not from here anymore. It was a very, it was a weird moment. That's right. sure. My identity, I had a little bit like miniature identity crisis by walking down to Calgary but at the same at the same time very proud of and and fell, fell fell in love with this city and so curious i heard you say loud and clear started uh, law school so mm-hmm. that's a bit of a pivot maybe the, the world of it and the world of technology back in 2000 was a very different paradigm than it is today yeah that's that's true tyler yeah so i finished law school in the uk um and uh you know when i when i came to canada i was actually interested in carrying on with uh, uh with law but uh in a system that seems a little bit you know weird and 
whatever to me, you actually have to go do a degree in something completely irrelevant first before you're allowed to be a lawyer in, in Canada. So uh, uh, I got off the, uh, the proverbial boat and um, uh, did not have the money to go pursue a degree in uh, origami or anything else to, uh, to, to fill up the years of education. And so uh, I actually you know, turned around and looked for something I could do. Uh, you know, to put money in the bank, but something I was also interested in. And when I was growing up, you know, certainly in high school, um, IT was for people that were really, really good at math and really, really good at, you know, coding on screens that were black and green, you know, green writing on black screens. And it was all very kind of, you know, war games uh, kind of stuff. Um, so it didn't appeal to me at the time, but around the year 2000, it was starting, IT was starting to become a bit broader uh, and you didn't have to be a sort of coding genius to start getting involved. And I was always fascinated by what technology could do for companies and for the world. And that was kind of a, my segue into that. Not much to do with law, that's to be, to be fair. Well, so many of us, it, 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 it starts us in a direction and then the world kind of, you know, the, the life, life is what happens when you're, when you're heading down the road. And I noticed, cause again, I'm a professional creeper. So I've got your LinkedIn page open here. Spent some years as an instructor kind of in the education side of things. I did. Yeah. So after I went to a school that unfortunately no longer exists in Calgary called ITI, it was Information Technology Institute. And, um, after I was done the course, they actually approached me to, uh, to actually help teach it. Uh, and I loved it. I learned a ton. That was actually one of my favorite jobs. I really enjoyed being in front of the classroom and you know, trying to pass on knowledge to others. And I did a short stint um, teaching up at State in the evenings as well, just kind of as a part-time uh, gig when I first got married. Yeah, lo loved it, actually. I've always loved being out in front of a classroom and trying to find ways to, to explain concepts to people. I, I enjoyed that. Well, you, know, you and I were joking, I think, before we even hit the record button, the leader, leadership and, you know, we're going to get, obviously get into digital transformation and, you know, such a big buzzword. But fundamentally, we are dealing with a rapid pace of change that you need to bring people along for it to be successful. And technology by itself is, is, is exactly that. So thinking about, you know, reverse engineering almost a little bit makes a lot of sense being in the role you're in today of just how much teaching and, and educating and helping people to understand where we're headed. I can only imagine is a, is a pretty critical part of your role. It really is, Tyler. And actually, you know, I, I say this a lot and I suspect, you know, you and I might end up having a deeper conversation about this part of it. But to me, it's it's not actually the technology that I think about a lot of the time. You know, a lot of people want to talk to me about that and they want to know what I think about AI or machine learning. And, and to be sure, those are fascinating and interesting topics. But um, I tell people a lot, technology isn't the reason or the struggle that we have in getting these things done. Uh, it's culture. And it's people uh, and it's getting people, you know, in a different state of curiosity about what these things can do, challenging things that have been done a certain way for a very long time. And I think that's why the teaching aspect always resonated with me. It was, you know, appealing to people's curiosity about how we might do something differently. Um, and that's, I think, you know, if you go across, you know, there was an interesting Harvard uh, Business Review article I just stumbled upon the other day that was, you know, talking about AI, but it was, you know, artificial intelligence, but it was saying, you know, the problem is not the technology, the problem is culture. Uh, and you're, if you're going to win the battle to m get value out of those things, it's actually the culture battle you're going to win. It's, it's not the technology battle. That's so. I love what you said. A different state of curiosity, because that's that's where opportunity is created. Where all of a sudden, like, oh, we've done it the way we always done it. But I'm just curious if there's another way to look at it. And it'd be interesting. I'm curious. You've been in oil and gas for probably 15 years. Again, doing my creep, doing doing my creeping here. Just thinking about where the industry was. This ties us maybe into the Calgary question. We've been through a pretty a challenging economic transformation, a structural change in, in our energy sector in the last five or six years. So curious yourself, even being in the industry before that versus now, have you seen cultures 
any like have you seen major culture shifts because we've had to adapt versus before where maybe you know things were going going good so don't rock the apple cart i, I don't know uh, i'm being meandering with my question but have that, that are that are kicking the butt the last six years really start to speed up some of the openness and curiosity and culture to allow change to start to come in I think it helped, Tyler, but I think if I'm honest, we didn't get all the way there, right? I think we're still struggling a little bit to kind of wrap our heads around what needs to change. You know, I, I was lucky enough to be here through a lot of the really good years in oil and gas. And, you know, I, I was struck by many of those times just how set in our ways we were, right? N not to say, and I, I get in trouble if I, you know, don't mention this, it's not to say there wasn't great innovation and, and really smart people doing some incredible things. Of course there were. There were some fabulous things that people did. Um, but I don't think we were curious enough as we're going to need to be to get out of this, right? And if you think and you look around us in the world at all the disruption that's happened, you know, I, I like to tell stories uh, within uh, my company here about um, transformation. I like to tell stories about what's happening in the industry. And you, and you talk about things like Uber versus um, taxi companies, right? And a lot of people come to the conclusion that the Uber story is about technology because, well, look, they did something different. You know, you can summon a random stranger uh, and do exactly what your mother told you never to do. And you can get in the back <laughs> of their car and you can go off and have them take you to the airport. And, it, you know, and, and you'll give them, you know, in the back end, they'll have all your credit card details and it'll pay them like all the things we, we really shouldn't do. But, you know, why is that story relevant? Well, it's, it's, it's because of the, you know, Uber didn't succeed because of technology. They succeeded actually because of a business model. The technology was just an enabler to a business model. And their curiosity about how to fulfill the need of people to get from A to B is what actually wins wins the the game if you like and and why taxi companies you know they were so focused on how they delivered service that they missed it right mm -hmm. um and you know the story if you ever hear the story of how uber got you know created or the idea for uber came about it was two tech entrepreneurs in paris um and uh you know there is i think it's around 2005 something like that and there it's a cold winter night in paris and they've been at this conference all day they're tired they're exhausted it's raining it's wet and they're standing outside and they're trying to flag down a taxi and they can't get one and meanwhile all these people are driving by and these two people look at each other and say well there's got to be a better way of doing this like you know one of these people in this car in these cars if we could connect with them would be willing to take some money and drive us back to our hotel but there's no way to do that and one of them goes back to california gets some venture capital money and uh, the rest is history right the rest. so it's you know and that's what i wonder about to bring back to your question tyler you know in terms of oil and gas you know it's our curiosity about what we really do um do we provide oil and gas or do we provide energy i think we know we provide energy but are we being curious enough um about the different ways that that might happen i like what you said and i think it's really I, I always want to be respectful and anyone I know who's worked in oil and gas for any period of time, there's, there was lots of innovation and always looking to That's refine right. and do things better. But what I'm hearing you say is we were, we were maybe being the taxi company. The taxi company was trying to get better at doing taxi company stuff versus really going, whoa, let's step back and let's unpack and be curious of like, what if we flipped this on our head and started from scratch? What would that look like? And maybe that wasn't what was happening or certainly what I'm hearing you say back in quote unquote, the good day, the good old days. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, th I think it's a question of you know how you identify yourself. Do you identify yourself as a taxi company or as a company that's in the business of getting people from A to B? And how you answer that question will dictate how curious you are about how different ways you might do that. And I think in the oil and gas context, are we in the oil and gas business or are we in the energy business? It seems like a, a sort of a triviality, like you're splitting hairs. Well, not really. It, you know, I, I'm a strong believer as you know, if you look at the oil and gas demand curves, like we're in a tough place right now, but we're going to need oil and gas for many years, probably decades, uh, I'm sure, to come. It's going to be a part of the energy future. But there's no doubt there's a transition underway. You can't ignore that. Um, so I wonder how curious we're being about making sure that whatever energy comes next, it's got a made in Alberta stamp on it. That's what I want to see, right? And so that's what I mean by curiosity. So when you take that, let's let's take that out of maybe just the sector. Let's talk about Calgary for a little bit. And obviously, you've you chose Calgary. You fell in love with it. You you came. You moved. Your, you moved, and you created your life here. So when you think about the economic, the transformation we've been going through, and maybe putting that filter on Calgary as a city, thoughts on your perspective of maybe where we haven't been curious enough, or or just to be forward thinking, where can we be more curious to kind of reframe maybe some of those key questions. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's a huge opportunity actually to connect, you know, companies like TC, but many other, you know, big companies around town uh, with some of the really bright, smart people that are undoubtedly out there. And um, actually, funnily enough, I was on a business council of Alberta kind of roundtable panel just a couple of weeks ago talking about this. And it really struck me. Um, you know, I get on an average day, goodness, you know, 50 uh, unsolicited emails and many, many unsolicited phone calls from what, what are probably very bright people or companies with great ideas. I mean, the challenge, quite apart from the fact that I can't read them all, is that a lot of them are not connected to what I really need. Like, what problem or opportunity am I focused on for the company? And those two things are not very well connected. So the opportunity then, I think, in a local Calgary sense is, well, let's get those things connected. Um, so I'm starting to brainstorm internally, but also with some folks externally about, okay, what if we could, um, you know, time is, time is the problem. Time is the commodity. I, I can't give 20 minutes to every person that phones me up and wants to pitch a product. I'd, I'd be at it all week. But I could give up, you know, um, a day once a quarter or, you know, something like that to connect you know, local entrepreneurs in Calgary and say, I want to give you, I want to kind of bring you behind the curtain and show you the things, um, you know, how our business is going, uh, talk to you about opportunities we think we have, and frankly, invite you to disrupt us. But let's do that together, <laughs> right? Let's do it in a way that benefits us both. Because when I talk about, you know, um, culture, Tyler, being the big, um, kind of blocker for technology. You know, again, I want to be careful. It's not that we've, you know, we've got fabulous people at TC and I'm sure many other companies around town would say the exact same thing. The, the challenge is that when you've been doing things the same way for a long time, no matter how smart, no matter how capable, no matter how much people may want to think differently, it's very difficult to see beyond what you do today. And I'll give you an example. I was actually chatting with one of um, my colleagues, one of the vice presidents here, uh, and talking about, you know, she's very, very keen on sort of, you know, examining how they might, you know, be more efficient, how we might serve our customers better and all, all the, the things you'd expect to be talking about. But if we're not careful, we focus on let's look at the process we've got today and see how we could optimize that. So if you're a taxi company, it's like, well, how can we get taxis to people faster or better or whatever else? But what if you actually step back before you got into the process and you got into the how we do it now? What if you actually step back and just reminded yourself, but why are we doing this in the first place, right? And, and not just the, well, obviously we, we do it to connect energy to people, but 
even when our individual businesses, why are we doing this particular piece of work? Like what's the output? And if we actually brought in entrepreneurs from the Calgary community and said, this is, this is the point of what we're doing. Um, how would you do it? You might come up with, you might come up with an Uber version of, well, you don't need to have a taxi anymore. You could, you know, there's other ways you could do that. Right. I think that would be fascinating. But it's so interesting, the biases that we have, like, well, we can't think about something different because we've already invested in taxis. Like there's the sunk cost model. There's so many Absolutely. like corporate yeah. structures that fundamentally, and don't, let's, I think you touched on it. We're, we are chock full of cognitive biases. We are chock full of, you know, it's good to tell me we joke about our company. You can't see the label when you're inside the bottle, but we firmly get inside our own bottles. And then, and then we kind of fight to not be ever taken out of there. It's a really interesting mindset. So curious from your perspective, you know, as a large organization, how do you... How do you foster that entrepreneurship? Like, how do you, how do you, do you put someone off in a corner and kind of like let them do crazy stuff, quote unquote? And I only say crazy because it's maybe different than the thinking that's going on on the other corner. Like, how do you foster right. that type of behavior? Because it's easy for you and I to talk about on a podcast, but I find sometimes it, it, it gets killed under the weight of the environment that it's in. Well, if I figure that out, I'm going to write a, a great <laughs> book that I invite you all to buy. Um, no, I, I mean, to be honest, you know, <laughs> joking aside, I, you know, I think we're still working on that, right? Um, we're definitely trying lots of things that, that are a lot of fun. I would say my first stop is to be deliberately different. Um, you know, what you need for a lot of that is the excitement and the interest and, you know, the, the enthusiasm, right, to get really smart people from different diverse backgrounds, that's key too, right? To come together, you know, you don't just need IT people. Don't just put IT people in a room and think it's going to happen. You need IT people with business people, with, you know, with engineers, with, with all kinds of different characters to think about these things. And so I think about being deliberately different, you know, everything from how we present the problem to how we go after um, the ideas. Um, someone asked me in the early stages of this, as I'm trying to sort of get ideas generated in the company, you know, how are you going to do the governance and prioritization for this, right? That's, well, the answer is not like we do it for a billion dollar pipeline, because we don't need to do that. This is different. Um, what if we had everyone draw up a, a poster uh, and, you know, we had some senior, you know, a Shark Tank idea where some senior leaders came in. You had 10 posters up on the walls. Each one of the, you know, evangelists for the idea had five minutes. And, and it's like the ultimate low fidelity prototype. It's a little bit better than a napkin, but it's not much better. And it's just to get the idea across. And what if your governance was each member of the, that team had a little red dot or a little dot of some color that they could go put on the poster that they wanted to spend another month on? And so it's it's trying to be deliberately different and de-risk it. There's you know people wander around Tyler all the time saying you know well you, it's got to be okay to fail and you know it's okay to be uncomfortable. But people don't really know what that means. Is is my experience? No, and the it's minute bunch, it's a bunch of jargon. Something it's it's corporate, but it's it's buzzword bingo a little bit sometimes. <laughs> it absolutely is, Tyler. Right? Um, <laughs> you know, and and so the minute something starts not looking like it's going well, everyone retrenches back into into typical behaviors. So you've got to be deliberately different. And I think one of the things I'm trying to do is to get, you know, lots of ideas going and place small bets on each of them, which on their own, you know, are not enough for anyone to really care about so that people don't get, you know, so you can take away that overwhelming sense of well, what happens if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Because, you know, I was saying to someone this morning, if there's, if there's only one, if you've put all your bets in, on one thing, then there's only one present under the Christmas tree, then it, it better be a really good present and not like a Mickey Mouse steering wheel cover for your car or something because you're going to be really disappointed. Um, so make sure there's lots of things um, so that if one 
doesn't work, you can kind of look at it and go, okay, that's fine. What what are the other things we've got? It's interesting you say that because I've had a few guests. I had one guest very was very specific. He said, hey, you know why the tech ecosystem and the tech startup scene is struggling in Calgary? And I said, no, why? Especially from an investor perspective. Because in large, especially large capital heavy, high risk, personal safety, you know, environmental concerns, there was no try and fail in the oil and gas industry. Like nobody wanted to see a big project fail and, and then someone call it a learning opportunity because the cost and the risk was so high that we've created this environment that maybe was started by pioneers and almost, uh, you know, mavericks almost if you go back far enough in the oil and gas sector. But over the years, as the, as the, 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 the risk and the concerns that were on the table grew to a point that like failure was never an option. It's almost a very different, it's two different cultures and I understand why one exists, but then the challenge of creating what you're talking about is almost like that mini incubator model inside of a large organization. It, it, those just fundamentally oppose each other sometimes from a cultural and just, this is the way we did it because we had no choice, but now we have to completely do it this other way. Again, easy to talk about, hard to do. <laughs> well, you're absolutely spot on Tyler, right? You know, if you're in the business of building and running, multi-billion dollar pipelines, uh, your tolerance for risk is appropriately low, right? Yes. Um, uh, and quite rightly low. Um, but so what you have to do is to say, but this isn't about building a billion dollar pipeline. This is about ideas. And you know, pretty soon I'm gonna get to share a pretty cool example of innovation that um, someone on the team here came up with. I'm really, really proud of what they did actually. And they, back in the early days of uh, COVID-19, uh, on our field sites, we had a really, you know, very real problem about, you know, the sign in, sign out procedures. Um, you've got all these people coming and going, you're worried about health protocols, and you've got one pen, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And you're trying to manage all this stuff. Um, and they literally overnight came up with, you know, QR code, which, you know, and if people are listening, they're probably like QR code. That's like a, you know, not exactly a new groundbreaking wasn't, technology. Wasn't no. that an idea that failed? It's like the COVID brought back the QR code. It's funny. Right? I, made that, I made that joke to myself. <laughs> resurrected it, that that what was such a great idea but it never flew in north america at all <laughs> it never really did right but now if you go to a restaurant that's how you get your menu and yep. you know you, all kinds of things but and the short version of the story is that you know they're using qr code now at over 400 <laughs> of our field sites where anyone that's coming on site just points their camera at the qr code that's painted posted by the gate they get to log in log out without getting out of their vehicle we know who's there and they're now extending that to give them like you know safety orientations through this qr code and point them to information they need while they're on site and and all of that happened i mean i guess the point of the story tyler is that just happened by connecting people with problems and opportunities and you know a curious mindset with people that knew about different technologies and this one literally went from a conversation one afternoon to overnight someone kind of mocking something up and showing someone in our field say hey we thought about your problem look what happens you point your camera at this and then it, the data ends up over here and they literally did it like overnight and Within weeks, it was uh, hundreds and hundreds of sites. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. That's a great story, and it's such a great example because it felt like for years a Q the QR code was a piece of tech running around trying to solve a problem, right. but, but no one could ever get the right problem with the right solution, so it consequently failed. But in this case, and I heard you say it, and or certainly how I heard it, we had a problem, and then someone's like, "Oh, well, you know what? I know about this thing over here. It might be relevant." Versus everyone trying to do like marketers trying to oversell and overuse the QR code, and it just never worked. That's it. I, I really do love that that shift. And the fact well, that now yeah. you've taken, we solved, we solved that we have a single pen problem to now we can now have access, we can share information, we can give safety briefings. Like it actually opened up a significant avenue to change how your company functions, COVID or no COVID. Mm -hmm. 
Well, absolutely, Tony. Well, what you said, I, I mean, I really love what you just said because we didn't run around with QR codes saying, look, we've got this QR code, who can use it? Um, and that's why when a lot of my, you know, my colleagues want to talk about technology, I'd really rather not. I'd really rather talk about what problems you're having. And then, you know, by all means, if we can find some technology to help you, we'll do it. But you may find that, you know, process can solve 80% of your problem, just re or even just rethinking the problem is going to be 80% of the solution. And, and we might come along with a technology thing that's kind of the easy part at the end that, that helps you enable it. But what you said is crucial. We didn't go run around with QR code and we shouldn't run around with um, AI, you know, tools asking people what we can do with them. That's a really good example because it's it's certainly the shiny the, the the shiny toy on the you know I had an oil and gas engineer talk to me about you know to, Tyler it's toys or tools toys are fine but don't mistake one for the other because they're not <laughs> and there's a right. lot of really cool tech right now that sometimes is maybe just a toy and he was being very and they were talking about. Um, component uh, additive additive printing and uh, additive supply chain and some really neat ideas. He's like, it's all great, but if you can't use it, it's still just a toy. And right. thinking about that, and I love what you said, but is, do you get, is there some pushback? Because people like to talk about the tech and mm -hmm. you know, hearing you push back and go, well, wait a second, let's talk about the human side. Let's talk about this. Almost like, let's be, I'm paraphrasing, let's be a little bit more philosophical about what we're dealing with here before we get and, you know, geek out and go down the tech road. Is there a, is there a pushback in the tech world to go, no, 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 I really actually want to talk about the tech. I actually, that other stuff actually makes me uncomfortable. It's outside my wheelhouse. I, I think, you know, there is, I think, you know, IS people have, have had to kind of learn to talk business language, you know, to be relevant. And, you know, certainly if you go to CIO conferences, they're kind of, uh, there's always a good number of sessions on, you know, how to talk to your business partners and how to, you know, how to be relevant. I guess because of my background, I've never found that part of it particularly difficult. Um, but I do know, um, you know, there's a lot of people in IS, and, and thank goodness I have these people, by the way, because they're crazy, crazy smart. They love the technology. And when we need something done, there's no good passing it to me. Like, you're not going to get anything. So, and, you know, these folks know exactly how to, to go do it. And, and they usually, you know, blow your mind with the kind of stuff that, you know, that you're capable of. And so there is a little bit of a, you know, um, I think lack of understanding of, um, well, you know, Surely, surely we you know we've got this great technology. Surely we should be kind of selling it, and we should be telling people, you know, all about what it can do, and um, you know that kind of stuff. I, I think though we've you know there's a good understanding being built that you have to start with the problem. You have to start with the why, right? You know, to me, with every technology piece that I'm shown, there's there's a so what question. Right. Like like your friend said to you, you know, it's just a toy. Well, it's just a toy until it can solve a real problem in my mind, right? Yeah. Uh, so they're right. And I think that it really speaks to, you know, this isn't one person in the room with a whiteboard figuring it out. You need, because sometimes, you know, even in our world with, you know, marketing and advertising, you know, we present the client problem and then someone will come out of this field over here and say, hey, do you, do, we could use this channel this way, but we're not experts necessarily in that channel. So there is that blend of someone who really does understand what the technology is capable of to then present the problem to them in a way of like, I don't even know how AI might solve this, but if you really understand AI, let me really unpack my problem for you and then let's come together, which is, you know, that joint approach that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, and of course, I, th I think it's all about the timing and who you send in when, right? So we have, mm -hmm. we have people that go in to talk about the business problems and the opportunities long before we, we unleash the, the really smart folks in the back rooms who know how to do the AI and the machine learning or the, the bots or whatever else, right? 
yes, the, the right the right people on the field at the right time. You know, to use the, to not to use a sports analogy, but curious from a investor stake, you know, senior stakeholders, I guess permissibility in an organization to you know move forward with a culture because it does have to come from the top, a hundred percent. If there's if the top doesn't believe that that's the way we should be doing these mini tests and learns and all these little trial and error, you know, fail fast kind of models. So curious, have you seen been working in large enterprise organizations? Is is that shift happening at a pace that it needs to? Is it been happening fast enough, or, or like what what what's the road there in terms of permissibility in organizations to take this approach you're talking about? Well, I I, th I think it can go faster, Tyler, for sure, right? I mean, um, but then I'm 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 never sort of satisfied. I guess that's been <laughs> my personality. I'm always pushing for it to be faster. I don't think it's a question of needing permission. Um, I think certainly in the company I work in, and you know, given other companies I've I've talked to. It's not that there's no permission to do it. Um, there's a strong interest in it. There's a growing recognition that um, you know the only sustainable competitive competitive advantage really is innovation and doing things differently. There's a definitely a growing awareness that you know, like I said, even though oil and gas is going to be with us for decades as part of our energy future, um, there's going to be other things come in the mix. And how do we how do we you know engage with those? Uh, there's also at a company like like ours a strong recognition that our our external customers are suffering and that we need to do everything we can uh to make things you know more competitive and cheaper you know not just for us but for them so that you know so that they can restructure their costs and keep oil and gas sustainable and things like that so i don't think it's permissibility um i, I think there's a and there's a strong and there's a growing recognition of the part it has to play it really is yeah that's great i love it i love it i love it but how do we do it right and that's what i find can get a bit overwhelming for folks there's there's kind of the tyranny of how um, you know, I, I love to tell the story about, you know, Amazon Go, right? So, um, you know, we have a, a, a strong partnership with Amazon Web Services, but, you know, not, not here to shill for them, but I will tell a, a quick story that I love. You know, if, you, if you're familiar with Amazon Go, it's the world's, you know, first cashierless grocery store. I think they opened the first one back in 2017. And it's such a ridiculous idea. I mean, you think about this. They've got no cashier in the grocery store. I mean, the first thing you think is, well, they're going to be robbed blind. Are they, are they crazy? Um, Amazon looks at the problem a bit differently than most people. They, they start getting in, as you, you probably, most of your listeners know the history. They, they start getting, they acquire Whole Foods, you know, about five years ago, and they start getting into the grocery business. Like, you know, like everything, if Amazon starts getting interested, you kind of start to wonder, okay, what's going to happen here, right? And Amazon looks at it and they go, well, the biggest problem or the biggest cost, I should say, for a, for a grocery retailer is the cashiers and the biggest you know and as you know amazon has a big customer focus so they go and the biggest the biggest headache for the customer is you know is the is the checkout process because the valuable part for me was wandering up and down the aisles and smelling the hot bread and, and buying far too much stuff that i that will be in my pantry forever but that part is at least you know somewhat valuable to me but then i get to the cashier and i have to unload everything and i have to wait behind someone who forgot the barcode on the apples and all the rest of it and then i have to pay for it and then i have to reload it into my cart and all the rest of it that that part isn't a lot of a lot of fun for anybody and so Amazon looks at that problem and they say, so how do we how do we do away with the cashier? And of course, you can imagine people coming up with a thousand reasons why that just won't work. But Amazon works backwards and they say, we're going to achieve that state. How will we do it? And instead of allowing the tyranny of how to kind of question them and allow them to deviate from that path, they, you know, they they solve every one of those problems, right? And they invite people to come in and hack them. And they have people come in to their first beta version of the Amazon Go store and they walk in and they've got all this computer fusion that's kind of watching, you know, and as soon as you pick up a sandwich, it kind of puts it in your cart for you. 
but they hadn't figured out that what if I pick up the sandwich, take a bite of the sandwich and put it put back, it back. <laughs> right? So my, that's so, where my brain is at. <laughs> right. Or people that pick up the can of pop and they open it up and they drink it and then they put it back on the shelf. You're like, damn, I didn't think of that, right? But what they do is they actually go through and they figure out ways of solving all those problems. There's a weight sensor. So if you drink the can and put it back, you're getting charged for it anyway. Um, you know, you take a bite of the sandwich, the computer's picked that up and you're going to get charged for the sandwich, right? Um, and so they've done it. And they're now branching out. I actually went to one of their stores in Seattle. It was pretty cool. I, I must admit, I, you know, I, I took the, the gum off the shelf and I put it in my pocket and I walked out and I was pretty sure security was going to come hunt me down. But next thing I got was an email saying, thank you very much. You've been charged, you know, $1.50 for your pack of gum. And now they're opening it all over the world in big supermarkets. So you imagine that thinking in our world, right, in energy, if we applied some of those principles where we might get to. You, you know, I'm going to ask, do you have any of those? What, what's, what's, what's your remove the cashier in, in, in your world? Well, for us, it's, you know, I think it's all about um, how we interact with customers. So, you know, those who know the the midstream business will know there's kind of a nominations processes and scheduling. And, you know, there's, it, there's a lot of process involved in deciding whose molecules end up on a pipe and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, so can you uh, do that completely um in a completely automated fashion you know can you do a uh, you just put it on the pipe and we figure it out and there's lots of technologies with, that would suggest maybe you can do that right uh, and what would that mean for the cost structures of you know the basins around here that are struggling um you know in terms of our ability to offer a different uh, level of cost of getting their product to market and stuff you know all of that would help um i definitely think about it you know safety is our number one um value and our number one concern uh, at TC. And I think a lot about the field and some of the things that are happening there. And you start to hypothesize, you know, what if we could never put a human being in harm's way, right? Uh, in a situation where something can go wrong and, and you know, uh, someone can get hurt or worse. Um, and there's lots of technology that says you might just be able to do that, right? That you maybe you don't have to put people next to high pressure um, assets anymore and things like that so i think there's lots of places we can think about that but the key the reason i tell that story a lot tyler is because you know if you're sitting in 2017 and someone tells you they're going to open a grocery store without a cashier you'd laugh at them you'd yeah. tell them that was absurd right and we've got to get past ourselves saying well you can't you know we start with all the reasons we can't do something but what if we really really kind of double down and said well let's figure it out I mean, you think about the, the oil and gas sector and the level of maturity and like it's been around for a while. We've done things for a while and stuff gets ingrained because like you said, there's technology now that is in place that can solve problems that we've just checked out as like, well, not solvable. That's just the way we have to do it. But five years ago, it maybe wasn't solvable by that technology and having to go in and hit the reset button. So curious around collaboration, you mentioned the comment about, you know, it, it, we're all in this together. And if you think about Amazon and that store, they partnered with suppliers you know, they talked to Procter and Gamble, they talked to XYZ to say, mm -hmm. Hey, let's do this together. So for you guys, and I, I've heard this before, and I might, I might be oversimplifying that there's a little been a little bit of, I don't want to say scarcity, but a little bit like stay inside your own walls with especially some of the larger oil and gas companies that it's been more of a competitive landscape versus a collaborative landscape. Is that something, would you agree or am I maybe off base with that? And if so, is it changing or what's your perception on that? Because it feels like we're kind of all in it together. So we might as well help each other. 
Well, yeah, that's right, Tyler. I mean, and I think there has been some history of it being like that. I mean, if you take something like safety, um, you know, I work for TC Energy, but if we can make breakthroughs in in safety, I want Enbridge and uh, Pembener and I want everyone having those same advantages in safety because that's not a competitive advantage. That's just good for our industry and good for obviously for all of us. Right. And so I think there's, uh, you know, things are changing. So um there's a group called the Young Pipeliners Association that I've been, you know, very fortunate to be invited along to. I, I don't meet the criteria for young anymore, but um, they're nice enough to let me go along occasionally anyway. Um, but uh, they've got some great programs like this Avatar program, which is all about exactly what you talked about, getting some really smart, um, typically earlier career folks together across different, you know, companies Um and collaborating on innovation ideas and actually looking for ways to fund and get those out there. Um, so I, I think they've, and they've done some really, really good work. I think the next one is coming up actually in January. They're doing, it was so successful. They're doing another one. And I've, you know, started to mention that to folks like the business council of Alberta folks saying, well, you know, uh, what if some of the, you know, entrepreneurs could, could grab onto some of those ideas and turn them into a reality? What if some of our, you know, local bigger companies could help to finance venture capitalize some of those things? Um, because I think there's a you know there's an opportunity for the whole industry, but it also is something pretty interesting that the minute you ask an entrepreneur or a, or a third party to take a look at this, all those sort of biases that we have because we're sitting in front of things that we've done the same way for a long time, they go out the window. You know, you, maybe you're looking now at an, uh, a company that can think a bit more like Uber when you're the taxi company. They're not they're not hindered by the belief structures that they've that they've relied on or, or slowly created and grown and encased in concrete in our in our minds of this is the way we think about things and this is the way we do it. I love the idea. Like the, I'm just picturing it's it's a it's a hackathon for the pipeline industry. It's an incubator. Mm -hmm. It's you know all those things that are easily more associated with the tech ecosystem and the disruption and the you know no bad ideas. Let's just come up with everything and that might be just crazy enough to work. That's an interesting paradigm in an industry that is you know easily looked at as like, well, it's been around. It's, it's essentially almost like a, uh, it's a, it's a utility in the sense it's just there and it happens, but to start treating it as that innovation. And uh, does that also help with the concept of social license and permissibility? And I'll be bold to say, I think Western Canada and maybe the energy sector has not done a great job in terms of staying ahead of a positive message out there in the world, considering the role that energy plays in our life. Alberta, unfortunately, or certainly Western Canada, the sector in general, we, we get kicked around a lot. And I, I think that's all some of our own responsibility. So when you think about bringing this level of innovation in and getting new thinking, your thoughts on does that help set us maybe on a better path to tell a different story or take a hold of the narrative? <laughs> Yeah, Tyler, it really does, right? And I think one of the things we've been slow to to realize or have, have been slow over the years was the power of things like social media. It's easily it's easy to dismiss it as something my teenager does to, you know, post his you know, latest goofy video on whatever he, he's done. Of course, we all know it's a bit different. When when Greta Thunberg can stand outside the Swedish parliament um, and suddenly get millions of followers to rally and kids to, you know, walk out of schools across, you know, we uh, whatever we might think of that, that is powerful and that is what you are up against and so i think we were a little slow uh, as an industry to to realize that i think that you know great strides are being made you know starting to catch up and starting to tell our story we're not all the way there yet and you've got to find you know you're up against a, a pretty powerful um you know medium right you know social media very quickly people can start disseminating information and as we all know it doesn't have to be uh, 100 fact-based we're seeing no, that no all doesn't. the time right um 
But I think there's a tremendous opportunity because I would say, you know, when I talk to my own children who are, uh, who are teenagers and I talk to them about issues like, you know, in environment and sustainability, you know, I tell them if you want to solve these issues, you need to come into industries like ours mm-hmm. who do care deeply about those things. Um, and nowhere will you have a better opportunity to make a big difference than to apply technology to, you know, an industry that we need and are going to need for a very long time but is there opportunities to to look at these you know environment and sustainable uh, uh policies and and things that we can do of course there is and, and so we need smart people to come in and actually work on that stuff and make it better and better all the time and, and i think people miss that in this conversation that actually if you want to start somewhere start there there's you know great opportunity for some of these you know early career bright people to come in and do that in 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 the size of organizations that you know a good idea can have can have groundbreaking impact across the whole entire industry just by scope and scale. So t- touching on that from the perspective of the, you know the school system and obviously you guys are constantly recruiting talent and always looking for people. How's like what's what's that like in Western Canada right now? Are are the good are the people you need are they out there? Are you guys able to attract the talent? And are, one, are we getting the right people with the right education coming in? And two. Is there enough of them? Like, is is our school system and our people too far? Is our school system producing the 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 people we need? But also, are people still, you know, is there still a lineup to go work in oil and gas? I've had some people say that you know we've done a we've hurt ourselves and it's actually hurting our pipeline of fresh new talent because we're not as trendy and sexy to go and work for as we maybe were ten years ago. Yeah, you know, Tyler, I remember listening to one of your previous guests talk about this, that, you know, just because there's people available isn't the same thing as the right people that you need. Um, And so one of the things that I've taken, you know, as part of our culture change uh, is to engage much, much, you know, uh, better, I think, with, with especially with students, for example, coming out of school. And it's not just all about students, but as an example, I mean, they are, you know, the future of our industry, they're the future of our country. Um, and they've also got this curious mindset. They've grown up with digital technologies. You don't have to explain AI to them. They, they, they're more often explaining it to me, you know. Um, and so w- one of the things that happened during COVID, um, you know, a lot of um, intern students lost their internships. And, and I was very adamant and very proud of our company for finding a way to do it anyway. Now, it, it isn't the same. I mean, they missed out on the social aspects of being in the office and all the rest of it. And I, and I know that was that was tough, um, but we, we brought them in and we've had incredible success. Like, you know, just their curiosity and their willingness to ask ideas and to challenge the status quo um, is, is a breath of fresh air. Um, and I think you know, we need to do more of that. I, I've had, you know, interesting, I've had quite a few reach outs from people that have, unfortunately, in the times we're in, have been laid off from from good companies in Calgary and good jobs they've had for years. And, and they sometimes ask me a question like, you know, what, what programming language should I go learn to succeed here? And I say, well, look, you know, I'm not going to put you off going and learning a programming language if that's what you want to do. There's some great ones out there and, and you'll certainly learn a ton and it will, it will it will be a good experience, I'm sure. But I would actually recommend you focus on something different, which is kind of what you and I have been talking about a little bit, Tyler, is c- can you be the type of person that understands a problem or an opportunity and connects the technology to it? You don't have to know how to write the code, but can you be kind of the decipher of the translator between that? And we need more of those types of people because you're going to be able to get people to do you know, technology. And I think you know, Calgary has a great set of people that could fill that role as well already of, of doing the technology side of it but understanding that creative mindset that's going to be the biggest gift i think um and so we have some work to do there I, I think we you know we have a reputation as an industry whether it's you know fair or not i'll you know let others decide i guess but um 
that's okay. I mean, my, my mindset is, well, that is what it is. Tomorrow is a brand new day. You know what they, you know what they say about planting a tree, right? So uh, let's do that today too um, and make sure we get those folks in to help us. I I do appreciate that, and I love use the, I love to use the tree reference. I I have been known to quote that a few times <laughs> on maybe a couple episodes. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't heard, you look up the best time to plant a tree. The internet will tell you. I'll tell you tell you the tell you the line. So when you guys are recruiting, do you have a broader like? I guess it feels like you have to put a broader filter on that because that felt a little bit more of a philosophical. Like I want someone who understands enough of our industry to understand the the problems that we have, but they have to have an appreciation for technology, even though they maybe haven't worked directly in it. That just feels like it's a bit of a trickier, uh, you know, not to crack when it comes to recruiting, when you're dealing with a thousand resumes or 10,000 resumes or whatever the number is that, 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 fe- that feels like maybe a problem as well to solve in terms of how do you filter out those exact people? Cause that almost sounds a bit like a unicorn. And I think we all were looking for unicorns at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, really what I, it all boils down to is you're looking for that mindset, right? You know, technology skills are pretty easy to acquire, but the, but the mindset of someone that's going to come in, is going to be brave enough to ask questions. Uh, I've, I've, you know, some of my best conversations have been, you know, students who've um, taken me very seriously when I say, "Hey, if you want to chat, book a coffee," and they do, and it's great. <laughs> and then they ask me all kinds of tough questions, um, and I love it because it makes me stop and think. Uh, and that's really what I'm looking for. Um, and yes, there's things around. You know, I can teach most of the other stuff, Tyler. You know, we can teach um, programming languages, and, and we can teach methodologies around how to do things. But that curiosity and that aptitude, that enthusiasm to come in uh, and, and ask those things—that that's what I'm really looking for. And in you know, in terms of figuring out who those people are. We have this great gift with these internships. I mean, you know, a lot of people think it's perhaps it's done grudgingly. It's like, oh, you know, it's a bit of sort of community involvement. I'm not, a, not a bit of it. I mean, for me, it's a 16 month interview, you know, or yes. however long it is, because uh, some of them are different lengths. But um, it's a 16 month interview where we get to see these folks in action. The worst case scenario for for both parties is, you know, that we've given them some great experience to talk about in their resume, and um, you know, we've we've had them help us with some work. And, and the best case scenario is it's like that. You know, I've I've had some students here where I've said, you know, they've told me they're going back to school. And I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, maybe we, maybe we, you know, you know. And then for the parents listening, I don't want to tell people that I'm talking kid their kids out of going back to school. <laughs> I'm going to get some angry emails oh, if I do that. Oh, so Chris but, Foster told right, you to drop out. I yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be in a world of hurt. We'll have to scrub that out later. No, I'm just kidding. But no, but in all seriousness, you know, these they've had such an impact that actually you know, yes, you know, we're, we're coming up with interesting arrangements to say, well, please do finish school in all seriousness. Uh, we really, we recommend that you do and we, and we support you in that, but let's come up with something where maybe, you know, you can still work with us a couple of days a week. And by the way, you've got a job offer for when you finish school. So let's take that pressure off your head right now. That's a, that's, that's a great story to have at that point in your career. How about I'm, I'm 10 years, I've been at TCE or I've been at other oil and gas companies and I come in, I'm assuming, I'm assuming as an organization, you have a programs to help people, you know, develop that that flexible versus fixed mindset or again i'm paraphrasing a little bit all the difference like you said like that growth mindset or that that openness and philosophical like how much investment do you guys have and is that a constant way that you're trying to help your current team to kind of skill up on the soft side yeah that's a great question tyler because yeah what the answer is constantly we're constantly doing it and i think the recognition we have to have is again it's not that people aren't getting it because they're, they're not smart or they don't want to like you know 
what you've got to recognize is that in many ways it's a 180 degree pivot like these technologies and the change has come so quickly and as we talked about earlier you know we've gone from a place of being able to be fairly predictable and you know fairly risk adverse and everything else to now challenging people to say you know i want lots of ideas and i want you to fail quickly and and all of these kind of words which is in some cases it's a 180 degree turn right and so you know i i tell people like you've got to incrementalize the change you, you've got to You've got to give people safe places to learn these skills. You can't expect it to be an overnight button. And I was at a really great um, talk uh, recently on kind of the psych psychology of transformation. And the, and the woman that was presenting, she did a great job. And she was talking about um, the difference of kale versus chocolate. Right. And uh, okay, the, okay, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you're like, what? Where's he going? Um, kale, of course, of, if you haven't heard uh, news, news alert, kale is very good for you. Um, it will give you fabulous health benefits uh, down the road. Um, you know, antioxidants that will, I think, cure just about everything we've ever heard of. Um, but how many of us really want to eat kale every day? Like, that's a pretty heavy lift. And for anyone listening who does do that, I am in complete awe of you. Um, <laughs> it's a superpower. <laughs> it's a superpower. It's a superfood as well. So there you go. Oh, it's a superpower nice. and a superfood. Um, but any, the reality is that for most of us, apart from, the, you know, those those five folks out there right now going, that's what I do every day. Um, for, for the rest of us, we like to throw in a chocolate bar once in a while. Right. And so what in the heck's this got to do with transformation? Well, look, most transformation is a pretty heavy lift. We know it's good for us, but the payoffs are going to come down the road and you need to sprinkle a few chocolate bars on the way. And the chocolate bars in this analogy are things that give us the energy. You know, they may not be the things that my CEO, you know, is going to talk about on Investor Day that, you know, had a dramatic impact on EBITDA and all the rest of it. But they are the things that will develop the muscles. They're the things that make people feel good, like the chocolate that says, you know what, that felt really good. I was part of something. And boy, we, we did that really differently, right? And again, I'm not talking about, you know, technology, earth-shattering technology necessarily. Maybe that's a part of it. But something that really gets people flexing different muscles. And my, you know, what I say to people is, when you do get that moonshot, when you get that thing that they do talk about at Investor Day and everyone gets excited about, when you follow the breadcrumbs, you'll come back to some small and at the time seemingly insignificant thing that we were doing that made, you know, allowed people that freedom to learn this new way of thinking and to get excited about it. And, and by the way, that excitement is so crucial. Like I tell people, you know, what's your people strategy? And this is going to sound a bit fluffy for most people. My people strategy is to have very smart people that love coming to work. That's kind of it. Because when you have people that love coming to work, work on exciting stuff, work with people they like, work for leaders they, they you know, hopefully uh, respect and, and, and uh, you know, um, believe in, um, you don't have to ask for discretionary effort. Mm. They just love what they do and they will work hard at it and they will come up with amazing things. So that concept of discretionary effort, I have a friend, senior HR, and she's like, you know, Tyler, the most valuable thing you can have as a leader, as a team, as an organization is discretionary effort, because that is the differentiator of that a little bit extra that just opens up doors that wouldn't have been there. And it's so easily to overlook because it maybe sounds fluffy, but when it's there, the, you know, or when it goes away, you feel it, but maybe you can't put your hand on it. I, I really like that you, that you said that. Uh, as, you're as I'm listening to you talk, I'm unpacking in my mind everything that happened around the you know, the sign in with a pen and you think about, you brought in a piece, you understood a problem. You brought in a piece of technology that literally has been on the shelf for 20 years, but now you've created a, but then a whole company adapted to a new way of doing something, which often can be the barrier because it was easier because it was better because we could celebrate it. Like you said, it might not get talked about on investor day or maybe it will, but just the, 
that was a great testing ground for a very small item that showed what can be done when everybody came together to think differently. To me, that really sets the stage for those, those big moonshots. Like you said, if you don't have those, you don't get the other one. We well, all jump right to yeah. the moonshot, right? We all jump right, right to it. Well, and when you ask people for moonshots, think about how overwhelming that is. And right, we're all like, oh my, you know, immediately you think, oh, like, how's, how am I going to do that? Something like QR code, again, yeah, you know, the technology is not earth shattering and, and the, the, the outputs are important, but not the ones you'll hear on Investor Day. But think, Tyler, about how those people went home and how they felt that weekend after they did that. And especially after they did something new so quickly. Right? They didn't even have to ask for budget. This thing was so small, right? It just flew right under the radar. A couple of people, you know, again, just, and again, it was just the power of pe people who had problems and opportunities talking to people who had possible ideas about how to fix it, right? And the right people talking. And in a matter of hours, you've got this idea. Imagine how that feels to go home having done that. And that is, uh, that kind of enthusiasm catches on. Like, That's right. It, it, it's, it's infectious for in, in all the right reasons. And I love it. So I was in a room years ago and it was like, all right, everyone has to come up with the five ideas for a paperclip, but they all have to be good ideas. And it was immediately, <laughs> it was paralyzing. That's now right. It's like, just That's come right. up with as many ideas, the sillier, the better kind of thing. And people, I think people would then call out, I have 200, I have 180, but the five people are like, I have three. Because they were all of a sudden this pressure of only good ideas, they have to be amazing. And boom, it just killed the room. It was a funny little, it's clearly stuck with me as it was like probably years and years. Well, it's true, Tyler. I remember back when I was in my early days of IT, learning about how you gather requirements from someone. And I, I learned a phrase that's always stuck with me. You, you get the best requirements in opposition to what you show someone. If I come to you with a blank piece of paper and I say, Tyler, how would you like this application to look? You're really going to struggle. If I come to you with a piece of paper and say, hey, I kind of thought of making it like this, you'd look at it and be like, that's terrible. No, 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 you don't want that. I want you to do this, this, and you'd immediately give me a different response. Yes, doing that. Even even in our world with design and copywriting and giving someone to respond to, oh, mm -hmm. you give them a blank sheet of paper and it's it can be actually paralyzing. Mm -hmm. That's right, absolutely. So, Chris, I feel well, you. And, I feel you and I can just keep going all day. I have so many questions I want to keep asking. But you know, thinking about Calgary and thinking about the ecosystem we live in and and the world we're headed. Clearly, you and I both we're, we're Calgary. We're pro Calgary. We're Calgary enthusiasts. We're bought in. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were going to wave a magic wand and maybe think about the road ahead and what's going to allow us to not to short circuit, but to get there faster and get there, meaning an environment where we've got better, we've got more jobs, where our economy feels more stable, where people don't maybe feel as vulnerable in our economy that we do now. Some of the things that you would want to see kind of happen over the next few years, anything on your wish list? Well, I think, you know, first of all, Tyler, I'm pretty glass half full on Calgary. I know we're in tough times right now. And, you know, I can tell you, I'm as we're recording this, you know, we're in the middle of another COVID lockdown, right? And um, I'm walking the plus 15s downtown and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, dry cleaners with no one there and, and food restaurants with no one there. And, and, it's, and it's a really hard time to, to talk about this. But I think you have to be optimistic. And, and, you know, I go back to, you know, what I felt when I came to Calgary 20 odd plus years ago. Um, it's a great place. I mean, where else can you have the mountains and the blue sky and lots of open space and friendly people and, you know, relatively cheap, you know, cost of living uh, and things like that. So we've got that going for us. Let's not forget that. It is a, it is a wonderful place. Um, I think what I want to see to answer your question is, is an openness. We have to move beyond, I think, thinking that oil and gas is everything. Um, you know, it's, it's, been a fabulous industry. It's going to be part of our future. Like, and I'm not a naysayer that it's it's all going to go away. It isn't going to go away. But I think if we're waiting for the next big boom to come along, oil just to go back to 150 and natural gas to go back to 10 bucks and everything will be fine. I, I think we need to think beyond that. And even if that were to happen, and that would be fabulous, and I'd love to see everyone get back to work and, and for that to happen. I think we still got to remember that these times will come back. And what are we going to do 
like I said to you before, to think about energy a bit differently beyond, you know, I think we have the expertise and the smart people and the entrepreneurial spirit to come up with, um, you know, some of the answers around energy ourselves. Um, and people may think of that as, well, why would we do that? You know, we've got this great oil and gas infrastructure. You know, let's not cannibalize ourselves, if you like, by kind of coming up with new energy. That's That sounds maybe counterintuitive. Don't forget, Kodak had the first digital camera. They chose not to take it to market. And guess what happened? It went to market anyway. So isn't it better that the code, you know, a digital camera would have had Kodak stamped on it? Wouldn't it be better if the next energy, whatever that is, has got made in Alberta stamped on it? Right. I think that would be terrific. I do appreciate that. And I, I've had quite a few, I've had a few guests on recently that they went, they were kind of aggressive in the sense that like, let's not forget what we're good at and let's build from there, but let's be open to doing it with, you know, using that strength, that intelligence, that, 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 that just gumption and know-how to do something slightly different, but let's stay inside our wheelhouse. And I love, you know, energy as an overarching concept, not just oil and gas, you know, specific or the resource industry and looking at it that way. And right. I think there's a very optimistic road ahead and I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I choose to be positive, but it also is, I don't believe it's blind optimism. I think we have a lot of amazingly smart people in this city and it is an amazing place to live. Like, let's get back to the basics. That's we, right. We, we're both imports. So I think we can say that with a level of credibility. too. That's right. Yeah. Well, you and I we, both chose to be here. We, we could have been somewhere else, but we chose here and, and lots of people. I mean, Calgary is, is that kind of town, right? You know, um, you know, you and I were talking before that, I think before the record button went on and just, you know, there's one degree of separation in Calgary. And one of the things I learned really quickly here when I was applying for jobs was that, if, you know, you needed a network, you need to know some people. And once you knew people, you could, you could find work pretty easily. Um, yes. You know, Calgary is a very much a town built on that community. I think we can use that. We absolutely play to your strengths. There's nowhere I've lived before that you can literally almost call anybody up and they will absolutely give you the time of day. That's right. <laughs> like That's the right. whole, you know, and I've, I do business in other cities and they're great for different reasons, but they don't have that. <laughs> they don't That's have right. the, the quote unquote, the, Cal the Calgary thing. And let's capitalize on that. On that note, Chris, thank you so much for taking your time today. I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate that we got a little bit philosophical, a little bit, maybe a little more philosophical than technical. But like you said, you can go read about AI, but to understand the human side of how we adapt to new things and how we solve real problems, that's the interesting thing because technology is, is coming at us from every direction, how to use it and how to how to make people feel empowered around it. That's to me the part of, that's one of the keys to unlock, not necessarily what's the next trendy tech. Yeah, well, absolutely. My pleasure, Tyler. Thanks for having me on and, and great chatting to you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.